You are listening to Where is the Line? The stories you will hear will be depraved, disturbing, and true. If you are easily unsettled, you may find this program offensive. And if you are under the age of 18, fuck off. Murder strikes a small town again. Chillicothe police say people thought a woman's body was a Halloween decoration. Now this man is under arrest. This all comes as the police investigate the mysterious deaths of several other women in that small town. Resident Tammy Dixon decorates for the season every year, but what she saw Tuesday morning haunted her. It was just like a worst Halloween scene that he could imagine. Everybody drinking blood, everybody eating brains. Some monster party Everybody eating flesh Everybody breaking bones Some monster party Thank you so much for listening to this October 13th episode of Where is the Line? My name is Kevin and with me today per usual is my very good friend and someone whose heart rate noticeably increases when in the presence of a bearskin rug (laughs) Samantha Say something disturbing, Samantha. Smears going down the stairs. That's that's a good one for October. I know. That, that's got a real creepy tone to it. I've got goose flesh. So when you hear the phrase smears going down the stairs, honk your horn. We have a Patreon page now. I can't believe it. And that's very exciting. I'm so excited. I know. And what's more exciting than the fact that we have a Patreon page is that we have 11 patrons. That's huge. I know. That's such a big deal for us. I thought we were going to set up that Patreon page and it was just going to sit there. Well, I thought I thought it was I thought it was probably just going to be my mom. (laughs) 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 We'll probably not be bringing up the Patreon page at the top of every show, but we're just really excited today because it's new. new. Mm -hmm. So this time we're going to mention our first 11 patrons at the top of the show. Yay. At our nefarious level is Corey Osborne, who along with her wife, Carrie Jo, are people that I owe a huge debt of gratitude to anyway for chauffeuring me about Orlando and also for those amazing rings that they sent us. Love it. And as a nefarious level patron, Corey will soon be receiving a commentary video from us as we watch Corey's favorite pornographic video. <laughs> You're welcome, Corey. Which she sent the link to us, uh, and we're going to watch it what, right after we record this episode. I have not seen it. I have no idea I haven't what it could be. I haven't either. I've been okay. saving it. Uh, moving on to our depraved level patrons, we have Natasha Fitzackerly from The Land Down Under, who also bought some uh, Where is the Line merchandise and looks fabulous in it. She looks stunning in it. And we also have, at the depraved level... Eileen Chobirko, who Samantha says looks pretty good in a bikini. Yes, I did. According to her Instagram. I stand by it. I I was stalking her pictures. Well, I was too. Okay, you were sitting right next to me. Well, I just didn't want to be the one that said it because it just seems like perverted if I say it. (laughs) Uh, At our disturbed level, we have Tori Melvin, Johnny Zell, Connor O'Mara, and Nadia Scott. Finally, our troubled patrons are Gary Thorne, Rachel Thompson, Sean Adams, and regular voicemail contributor and our favorite Amber from any part of the world. Damn straight. Amber from Alabama. 
Thank you guys so much. Yes, thank you, patrons, so much. We appreciate everybody that listens to the show, obviously. Obviously. Um, but we really, it really means a lot to us that, that these 11 people, you know, listen to our show and kicked a couple bucks our way. You, you know, know what? What? It makes me work harder now. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Well, you know, it's I'm nice kidding. because like, mean... if none of them cancel, then... We will not be paying to do this show anymore. That would so, be a different, so, a different way to do things. Yeah, don't don't cancel, <laughs> don't don't cancel your patronage. Uh, if you cancel, we'll we'll cry. No, <laughs> do what you're gonna do, but you should stay with us because if you're a patron, you're privy to so many perks. You get secret insights into mine and Kevin's lives. <laughs> I, my clutch broke in front of the bank just the other day, and our patrons got to see a video of me being very frustrated about it. <laughs> anyway, enough with that. Are you ready to get into this episode? Yes. Let's do it. So it seems like every Halloween, someone, somewhere, goes a little too far with their Halloween decorations. The police have been called to scenes of neighbors who were crushed by their garage doors, corpses hanging from trees, and even the occasional bodily dismemberment. The police arrive on the scene and typically discover that these are just ornamentations displayed by citizens who love Halloween and who embrace the chance to put on a display of their own macabre brand of creativity. Occasionally, though, these are not ornamental figures. Every now and then, it's a real human body. It has happened. For October, Samantha and I are going to each spin a yarn for you. Both of the subjects that we're going to be discussing died in such a way that their own corpses were mistaken for elaborate Halloween decorations. And that's what we're talking about today. When the recently departed get mistaken for Halloween decorations. I'm going to go first. Okay. My story takes place in the town of Chillicothe, Ohio. The population of Chillicothe is around 20,000, so it's not exactly a metropolis. And I mention the size of this town because it's relevant to what started happening in May of 2014. Okay. On May 20th, 2014, a missing persons report gets filed for this young woman named Tamika Lynch. Several days after that, some kayakers come across her body in this creek called Paint Creek. And except for a pair of socks, Tamika Lynch was completely nude when she was found. So that's in May. By November, two other women were reported missing. Then, in December, a 20-year-old woman was found dead. And the cause of her death was determined to be drowning, and her death was ruled to be a suicide, but a lot of the people around Chillicothe were not satisfied with that explanation. So if you keep going, by the end of May 2015, just one year after this first person, Tamika Lynch, was reported missing, two more Chillicothe women would be found dead. One was found near a ravine, wrapped in a white cloth. I have an emergency. I found a woman's body in a creek. Where at? Wrapped up in a blanket. Sounding like a culvert. Okay, and you do know that it is a female body? Yeah, she dropped up in the blanket, and you can see her breast, her stomach, 
um, duct tape, uh, a white blanket. Okay, ma'am. Well, I'm going to we'll get an officer started out that way. If you'll just kind of hang loose there, and they should be there shortly, okay? Oh, God, please hurry. Yes, ma'am. So in all, within the span of just this one year, five Chillicothe women were found dead presumably murdered it's up to it's up to debate mm-hmm. and one other was reported missing and she to this day has never been found oh my goodness so the people of Chillicothe Ohio start fearing very understandably that there might be a serial killer active in their area a reasonable assumption by october of 2015 chillicothe had spent about 5 months without any more of these questionable deaths or disappearances of the women who lived in that town. And October comes around, it's Halloween, people start decorating their homes, and for a few hours, it seemed like even the local power company was getting in the spirit when they dangled a fake body off of the side of the chain-link fence that surrounded a power substation. Oh, I would imagine people passing by thought it was probably pretty odd that uh, the local power plant would uh, be getting in this uh, this this festive holi- holiday <laughs> yeah. mood. Some other people assumed that just some teenagers maybe got stoned and thought it'd be funny if they hung a dummy off of this fence. And so for several hours on the morning of October 13th, 2015... People passed by this peculiarly located dummy that was hanging by its left arm from this fence. And it wasn't until some construction workers rolled up to start working nearby that anyone took a closer look at this Halloween decoration. And one of these workers walked up close enough to discover that the figure that numerous people had been passing by all morning was actually a genuine corpse. Holy shit. So when the police arrive, uh, they initially couldn't tell if the body was that of a male or a female because of the trauma that had occurred to this person's face. Near the body was a large rock about the size of a grapefruit that was covered in blood. Uh, It turned out that this body belonged to a 31-year-old woman named Rebecca Cade. A forensic pathologist named Dr. Brian Castro examined the body and said that Rebecca had been severely beaten with a blunt object, probably this rock uh, that they found nearby covered in blood. It turns out, though, um, so when, when they find this body, they believe that the cause of death is just this blunt trauma to the head. It turns out, though, that Rebecca's injuries were considerably worse than they appeared, and they actually appeared pretty bad. In addition to the beating that she had taken with this rock, her nose had been broken, her face had been slashed with a sharp object five times, and she had been stabbed in the face twice. Good lord. And those stab wounds were each two inches deep. A small area on her back, and I'm not sure that it's ever been found out what exactly happened that caused this, but there was a small area on her back that had been burned. Mm -hmm. There was a little bit of swelling in her brain. She had suffered some brain damage, and her spinal column had also been damaged. And the terrible thing about all of these injuries is that none of them would have been immediately fatal. So if you had some hope that this poor woman had maybe been killed, maybe some of this stuff happened post-mortem, and she had been hung on this fence... 
that's not the case. She was alive and conscious throughout all of this. And we know that she was partly because she apparently put up a hell of a fight when all this shit was happening to her. She had numerous defensive wounds on her arms. And the Chillicothe Gazette reported that during his testimony, this forensic pathologist suggested that Rebecca Cade had, quote, desperately tried to get away so hard, in fact, that one of her bicep muscles was severed and the other one was almost severed. So she was trying to push away her attacker. She was fighting against her attacker to the point that she was ripping her own muscles doing this. Yeah. Um, But Rebecca Cade was small, though. She was uh, diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome when she was very young. Uh, When she was four years old, she only weighed 20 pounds. Uh, And I had to look this up because I don't know anything about children. The average four-year-old is 40 pounds. Yeah. So she was undersized her entire life. And she stayed small. From the photos, it seems like she may have been just a little bit over five foot tall, maybe around 100 pounds. So she tried, but her body was just physically not strong enough to effectively defend against what was happening to her. Yeah. So it appears that Rebecca Cade fought very hard against her attacker and just became overwhelmed. She had all these injuries to her face, had torn these muscles in her arms, and she starts running. All of this is happening near this power substation, behind which is this big field where apparently a lot of people would go to party. Um, So Rebecca Cade gets into this altercation. Things get way out of hand, and she runs. She makes it over the fence because she was on the back side of the fence Mm -hmm. when this attack happened. She makes it over the top of the fence and the fence has barbed wire across the top. Mm -hmm. So she makes it over the fence, gets her left arm snagged on some of this barbed wire, falls over the other side and that's where she dies. So she is alive at the point that she gets over the fence. She gets snagged and dies hanging from that fence by her left arm. Oh, boy. So let's go back a little bit to earlier in that evening and what led up to this. So the night she died, a man named Donnie Kokenhauer Jr. showed up at his half-sister's house. Uh, This half-sister of his is named Lisa Frost. Lisa Frost only lives about 400 yards from where Rebecca Cade's body was found dangling from this fence outside of this power substation. Uh, Donnie shows up to Lisa Frost's house covered in blood. He says that he needs to take a shower. His half-sister Lisa takes these bloody clothes that he takes off and throws them into a neighbor's trash can. And she calls her roommate, who happened to not be at home at that time. The roommate later talked about this conversation that she had with uh, Donnie's half-sister and said, quote, She said, hey. My brother showed up at your house with blood and mud all over him. I'm going to let him take a shower. I was like, don't you dare let him in my house. So since Donnie is not allowed to stay at this house because his half-sister's roommate just isn't having it, uh, he gets cleaned up and Lisa, this half-sister, gets him out of town to go and stay with another one of their siblings. So the roommate that Lisa had called, Donnie's half-sister Lisa had called, tells her mother about this conversation that they had. Mm -hmm. And shortly after she has this conversation with her mother, 
this this next morning is when Rebecca Cade's body is found hanging on this fence 400 yards away from her house. So the mother calls police, and by the end of that day, Donnie Kokenhauer Jr. is arrested. This all is seeming pretty open and shut. Yeah. This guy shows up with blood all over himself, and it, I mean, it gets better. Or worse. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So the police interview uh, Donnie's half-sister, Lisa. She tells him that Donnie told her that he killed Rebecca Cade, and that's why he showed up at the house covered in blood. The police recover some of Donnie's clothes from that night, and they find Rebecca Cade's blood on the clothes. Okay. They did a vaginal swab of Rebecca Cade's corpse and found Donnie Kokenhauer Jr.'s DNA. Really? Okay. Even more open and shut. Yeah. Donnie Kokenhauer Jr. was found not guilty. What? So at his trial, his half-sister, Lisa Frost, said that she had lied about the statement that she made where she said that Donnie Kokenhauer Jr. admitted to killing Rebecca Cade. She said, quote, I was addicted to drugs. I only wanted to go out and get my next high. I was tricking and doing whatever I could do to get my next high, and I would blame anybody. I was addicted to heroin and meth. Now I am sober, and I know what I know. He did not do this. He did not tell me he did this. He told me he was jumped. This is a crazy story. But what about all of this DNA and evidence? Right, yeah. Uh, so Donnie Kokenhauer Jr.'s story was that he had gotten into a physical altercation with Rebecca Cade. I'm assuming that he said that he had also had sex with Rebecca Cade that night. Mm-hmm. This physical altercation that he admitted to apparently got bloody, and he said that that's why he had the blood on him. So he admitting admitted to hitting her. Uh, But he denied that he killed her. According to him, there were a lot of people with a lot of reasons to want Rebecca Cade dead. And that one of those people must have done it after his spat with her. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And this worked. He fucking gets off. I can't believe that. So Donnie's half-sister, Lisa Frost, spent a year in jail for tampering with evidence for throwing those clothes in the neighbor's trash can. Yeah. Uh, Donnie Kokenhauer Jr. himself is right now, unless he's gotten in some trouble very recently, a free man. And so I, I talked earlier about those seven women who were missing or murdered in that one-year span in Chillicothe. Mm-hmm. Rebecca Cade's case is still the only one of these women who died or went missing in that one-year span that ever went to trial. Nobody else has been arrested for the disappearance and murder of all of these women that happened over that one year. And the thing is that a lot of these people had been in trouble before. They had had uh, drug arrests, things like that. Mm -hmm. And when people with these types of backgrounds go missing or turn up dead, the police tend to not pay a whole lot of attention to it. And that's just one of those terrible, sad facts about America. That is true. A lot of people still believe the serial killer was stalking the women in Chillicothe in 2014 and 2015. Some people think that Donnie Kokenhauer Jr. might have been that killer, but police never managed to connect him to any of the other cases. In any case, Rebecca Cade was the last woman to die 
and this string of murders and disappearances. I mentioned earlier that Rebecca Cade was diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome uh, when she was a child. Rebecca left behind a 15-month-old son who himself suffers from fetal alcohol syndrome. Ugh. So if you're in the northern U.S., the Ohio area, the police are probably right. All of these missing women in the area were probably coincidental. There's probably not a serial killer in your area. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> So far, this episode's been a little darker than than usual. Not a lot of space for levity in that first story, so we're going to take a little break. And uh, Samantha's going to share for you a tale from a Halloween past. My story is set in the early 90s. I'm just coming off of my horrible time in fourth grade. This was the same year that I had the belly full of shit. You know, and I spent some time in a psych ward. For those of you who might not have been listening for a while, uh, when Samantha was a youngster, she refused to poop for so long (laughs) that she ended up committed to Vanderbilt psych ward. Yes, I was a very troubled child. So when all that was over, my mother decided I needed a fresh start. So we moved and I started a new school for my fifth grade year. I loved it. New school, fresh start. I started this school in fifth grade, and it's finally October. Halloween is upon us. My favorite time of the year, my favorite holiday. I love dressing up. Always have, still do. So my mother and I worked so hard on my costume that I was going to be wearing to school for Halloween that year. I decided that I wanted to be Elvira. You know, we're, st- we're coming out of the 80s. Elvira is still very hot, or at least she was to me. I was obsessed with Elvira. We had purchased an adult Elvira costume. That's all we could find. But it was like the real deal. It was totally authentic. And my mom, she's a seamstress, so she shortened it up a little bit for me. And, um, of course, it had a very plunging neckline mm-hmm. that she got, like, this little piece of black mesh to sew in the middle of it. So how, I was old, how old were you again? About 10. Okay. So I had no tits. But we didn't, obviously, I couldn't go to school with all that flesh showing so we fixed that look good and um like i said she shortened it up and also she was going to let me wear her stiletto heels um so and i had like the little bejeweled dagger stuffed in the side of the belt on the dress just like elvira i was wearing a gigantic black elvira wig i mean i was done up so i get to school that day and i'm walking in and i'm just noticing that a lot of the younger kids at that school the elementary school I was going to, they were dressed up. But when I got to my fifth grade class that morning, none of my classmates were dressed up. Hmm. Yeah. Why? I have no idea. It seemed like everyone was going to be dressing up. I, I, It never occurred to me that no one else in my class would be dressing up. So all the kids are laughing at me, <laughs> snickering, because, I mean, I'm a ridiculous sight to them. Mm-hmm. Um. I felt so awesome walking into school that day, and my self-esteem immediately plummeted, only to be made worse by the fact 
that my teacher, before lunch, she decided to have a costume contest in the class where <laughs> I was the only one oh, to no. come up there. But she wanted me to come up there and stand and have everyone clap for me. I cried. I wanted, uh, I tried to get the school to call my mom to bring me an extra set of clothes, but they never could reach her. So I had to continue the rest of the school day in my Elvira costume. And I was just mortified. And I hated everyone. And then I didn't want to go out trick-or-treating that night. (laughs) (laughs) Did you go out anyway? No. Oh. I know. No, you let that ruin your whole Halloween. Yeah. I I stayed in and watched horror movies, and my mom bought me some bags of candy. (laughs) (laughs) When I was a little kid, you know, I guess uh, the 80s, mid-80s maybe, that was the time that those plastic costumes were really popular. You know, it was just like a one-piece plastic thing. Oh, yeah. And you had this generic plastic mask Mm -hmm. that was strung around your head with that little piece of elastic. I had a cousin who lived nearby, John John. John John. (laughs) And uh, I was Darth Vader, of course. (laughs) Of course. John John was Spider-Man. And we both had on these, uh, these little cheap plastic costumes that you get from like the drugstores and things. John John apparently had put his costume on himself, which I'm sure that I did too, but it did not occur to John John that he should wear clothes underneath his costume. So he <laughs> he just had on his whitey tidies under it. And uh, <laughs> before we went trick-or-treating to the first house, on the way to the first house, John John managed to split the back of his... <laughs> <laughs> little plastic costume. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, obviously I haven't changed that much since I was a kid. So I laughed hysterically at him and made fun of him for the entire evening. Oh. And he cried all night. But he still went trick-or-treating with his ass hanging out <laughs> of his Spider-Man costume. <laughs> So our interlude is over. It's time to get back to tales of bodies mistaken for Halloween decorations. And now it's time for Samantha's story. So my story takes place in a small incorporated village on Long Island, Farmingdale, New York, October 28th, 2014, is when this incident occurred. Patricia Ward was 66. Uh, She lived with her son, Derek Ward, who was 35. She had been divorced from his father, John, for many years, and she had also had another son named Robert, who had died in 1997 from a heroin overdose. So this family has had some tragedy, and at this point, Derek and Patricia, they had decided to share an apartment together. They had recently moved into 130 Secatog Avenue, and, you know, were just trying to live their life. Like I said, Derek was 35, and he was living with Patricia, who happened to be, uh, for almost 30 years, she was a professor of the language arts at Farmingdale State College, beloved by all of her colleagues and students. Um, She was one of the most helpful staff, people say, at this college, and everyone really loved her. Why was Derek living with her? Was, Was there something wrong with Derek? Yeah, actually, Derek, prior to 2014, when this incident occurred, he had been struggling with mental health issues. Um, He had attention deficit disorder. He was diagnosed with dyslexia and also had some undiagnosed 
mental health issues. He was on Medicaid. So they struggled to find a psychiatrist that was willing to work an arrangement to see Derek. And this is something that Patricia had been working so hard for, was to be able to get her son the help he needed. And they had just had so much trouble. And prior to October 28th, 2014, when this incident occurred, the four days before October 28th, Derek was out of his medication. And that same week, that Friday, Patricia had finally found a psychiatrist that was going to see Derek for 20 minutes for $200. And he was going to get seen. He was going to be able to get his prescription refilled. And things were going to be okay. Like I said, Derek had been struggling with mental health issues for 10 years. And things became exacerbated that year when he lost his paternal grandfather. He was very close with his grandfather. And this just wrecked Derek. And things just started to go rapidly downhill for him. Patricia was doing everything she could to keep Derek afloat in life and just get him the help he needed. No domestic issues had ever been reported between Patricia and Derek, and he had really never shown any violent tendencies. He had only had two prior arrests. One in 2003, he was arrested for a criminal mischief. And then in 2006, he was arrested for possession of a 9mm pistol, and he also had 100 tablets of unprescribed value in his pocket. But other than that, no real uh, major brushes with the law as far as like violent actions. A hundred tablets of yeah. Valium. Mm -hmm. So he was slinging Valium. I think that'd be safe to say. So no one really had any inclination of that Derek could be capable of anything like what happened on the night of October 28th. The only real, like, okay, before this happened, there was an incident where... Uh, Derek's behavior had become increasingly troubling and erratic in the days leading up to his mother's murder. Uh, an incident occurred one night while Patricia was making Derek's dinner. She had dropped a fork on the floor, and it made Derek very angry. Uh, he started screaming. He said the noise hurt his head, and he was grabbing the sides of his head. And Patricia begged him uh, to let her take him to the emergency room that night, but he refused. So things aren't looking so great for Patricia and Derek right now. You know, she's doing her best. She's going to work every day. I don't think Derek had a job during this time. But, you know, Patricia realized that something was terribly wrong with her son. And like I said, losing his paternal grandfather just sent him into a tailspin. So that brings us to the night of October 28th, 2014. It's a Tuesday. That evening, no one is really certain what happened in that apartment that night. Um, no neighbors heard any noises. Nothing like that which, considering what happened, is surprising. What, what is so horrible is that just four days prior to October 28th, Derek was off his meds. He didn't have any more. But just that Friday, that coming Friday, he was going to have an appointment, and things would have been okay. And this was Tuesday. Yes. Tuesday is when the murder happened, and that Friday is when he would have gotten the help he needed and the medicine that he needed. But, uh, you know... With America's healthcare system, tragedies like this occur. So Patricia and her son Derek were at the apartment that they shared. At some point, Derek seemingly has a psychotic episode. So at some point, Derek comes in to wherever Patricia is at in her apartment. From the way it goes down, I think she might have been in her bedroom changing, and that'll come into play. But he comes upon his mother, Patricia, and he starts beating her relentlessly. 
breaking multiple ribs. At some point, he finds a large knife in the apartment. The police only categorized it as a very large knife. So one might think that he probably grabbed a butcher knife from the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Uh, he comes back and he is stabbing her multiple times with this very large knife. At some point, he probably is just sitting there with her dead body uh, just from the timing of things. They think that he spent some time inside of the apartment with her dead body. Do they know at what point in this she died? When she was being stabbed, they think that she was still alive. Mm-hmm. But he stabbed her so many times that they think that one of those uh, blows would have been a fatal blow mm-hmm. um, as far as the stabbing. And police think that he sat inside the apartment with her dead body. And at some point, he decapitated his mother with that same very large knife. And he then proceeded to drag her body from inside of their apartment, down the indoor stairs of their apartment building, and outside to the street. Just the body. He had the head also. He had the head also, but they she was decapitated in the apartment. I mean, if you want to, I'm thinking maybe he had her head laying on her body when he was dragging it down the stairs. I, I'm not sure how he got it out there. It would fall off. I, well, <laughs> he had to have had it under an arm like a football or something. All the police know is she was decapitated before she was brought outside. Hmm. Okay. So he drags her body down the indoor stairs of this apartment building and outside to the street where he leaves her body laying kind of perpendicular to the street, wearing only her pants and a bra. That's why I think that she might have been in the middle of changing clothes mm-hmm. when he attacked her. He arranged her body very neatly. He, like I said, he laid it perpendicular to the curb with her legs closed tightly and her arms were resting straight down at her sides. And, and witnesses were seeing him bring her body outside the whole time thinking this was a Halloween hoax of some sort. It was a crime so gruesome, some who saw it thought it was a Halloween hoax. Dale Silverman had just left the nearby parking lot heading home last night when she saw Ms. Ward's headless body and severed head. I assumed it was a stupid Halloween prank and the cops were going to be furious that somebody would do this. That's what I put in my head. Like I said, after he laid the body on the street, he then took her head and kicked it about 20 feet to the other side of the street, right in front of some disbelieving bystanders. Now, see, after he kicked his mother's head across the street about 20 feet. He starts walking down the street towards the Long Island uh, railroad tracks mm-hmm. where the Long Island railroad train comes by. And at this point, bystanders and neighbors, they are seeing this body and head and they think it's all a sick Halloween prank. Some witnesses even walked up to the body and lifted it up, finding out that it was real. But um, Nick Gordon, a neighbor, he was quoted as saying, I looked through my window and saw the body down there. I saw the lady laying right in front and her head was across the street, close to the corner. I thought, holy shit. Nick then went on to describe the gory scene that extended from inside of the apartment building all the way to outside. He says, quote, there was blood all over the floor. You can see smears going down the stairs as if someone was dragging a body. Okay, so Derek is walking towards the Long Island Railroad track. He starts walking west on the track towards Manhattan. Mm -hmm. There was a train station right there, too, on Secatog Avenue, where Derek and Patricia's apartment was. People that happened to be around there, they saw Derek walking down the tracks. And at some point within this 
you know, 20, 25 minute window until the cops actually arrive on scene, a Long Island Railroad train starts coming down the tracks towards Derek. And there's two versions that witnesses seem to think that they saw. Many say that he made no attempt to walk out of the way of the train and just let it plow him down, killing him right there. Mm -hmm. Others say he jumped into it. But the most credible report is that he was just walking down those tracks towards Manhattan and let the train just come upon him. And when either way, either way, he did it on purpose. He did. Yes. He committed suicide and his body was drug about a mile away from where it was hit. A mile? Yeah. Did they not know they had hit him? Well, you know, a mile can happen like that on a train. So it might have taken a mile for that train to slow down. You know what I'm saying? It was going full speed. So Derek's body was found about a mile from where he was hit by the train. The train was stopped. It was stalled on the tracks for hours while cops were there investigating what had happened. At that point, they didn't even know that Derek's suicide was related to this body that was just reported found on the street 20 minutes prior to that. Mm-hmm. And like I said, all this time, you know, while Derek has already gone down towards the train tracks to get hit, there are still bystanders going up and down Secotog Avenue, seeing Patricia's body and her head, and thinking that it was a Halloween hoax. Dell Silverman, uh, she was a medical editor who lived in the same community and was driving away from the train station shortly before police arrived on scene to Patricia's body. She says, quote, I saw what I thought was a head on the street. I saw long, black, straight hair and the head face down, and I did a double take. I thought, what the heck was that? I rolled my window down and said, no, that can't be what it is. I saw the body, completely straight, legs together, hands at its side. It looked fake. I thought it was a stupid Halloween prank. After Dale realized that what she had seen was in fact real, she said, quote, I was like, oh my God, I was right the first time. I actually just saw a head in the street and a body and not only dismissed it, but laughed. Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's the worst feeling ever when you laugh at something and you realize later you should not have. Yes. Like, it just makes your stomach hurt. And yeah, and it's it's just so sad. Um, Patricia's brother, Reverend Robert Lebrano. He was completely emotional, obviously, after this happened, torn up. He said, quote, she had an appointment set up for Friday. She finally met a compassionate psychiatrist, but she'll never make it to see him. He then went on to describe Derek as a, quote, sick, sick boy. Reverend Lebrano said Derek had battled psychiatric issues for 10 years, but had never shown any signs of violence. So this just came out of nowhere for the family. He said, quote, He killed my sister because we couldn't get the prescriptions he needed. For four days, he didn't have his meds. She's dead because he had a mental illness, and we didn't know how serious it was. We're in terrible shock. She was a wonderful person. She did everything to keep him alive. He was just a sick, sick kid. So this Halloween, if your neighbor's adorn their homes with decorations that look a little too real. Maybe you should take a closer look. Because it might be real. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> you scared me. <laughs> <laughs> it's Halloween. You're supposed to get scared. Oh, my God. <laughs>
that's going to do it for our full episode of Where is the Line for this October. Since our last full episode, we've gotten a lot of reviews and emails, so we're going to space those out over the next few episodes. All right. (laughs) In case we don't get a whole lot more. We had that little influx there, so we need to save a few. I agree. Uh, But please keep them coming, though. yeah. We love hearing from you. We appreciate it so much. And if you don't hear your review or voicemail today... I promise you, we will get to it in the future. That's a guarantee. Our first review comes from Stinky Matilda. Stinky (laughs) Matilda writes, Great! I've listened to every episode, and they're all well-researched and hilarious. If you listen at work, wear headphones. It's definitely not safe for work. Show enough. (laughs) That is some good advice from Stinky Matilda. (laughs) This next review is from Macer Beans. Macer Beans writes, I learned my car horn doesn't work. (laughs) Macy here. I love this podcast. It always has interesting topics recommended from Hollywood Crime Scene Podcast. Hey. I know we said in the last episode, but we really appreciate Hollywood Crime Scene. Yeah, we do. This next review is specifically about me. Aw, Kevin. Purity Sliz writes... Yes, I like it. Rachel from Hollywood Crime Scene recommended this podcast since she and Desi make you feel like you know them on a personal level. I went here. I'm happy to say that the host is great. He is instantly likable (laughs) while talking about unique topics. Well done, fun and Southern. Have you ever heard me described as instantly likable? Never. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Yeah, that is is true. (laughs) Most of our recent reviews mention Hollywood crime scene, which is A-OK by me. We owe them a huge debt of gratitude. And if you're one of the people who are here from Hollywood crime scene, we're very happy to have you. Uh, We hope you're feeling welcome here so far. And if there's anything we can do for you, just let us know. Absolutely. Moving on to a few voicemails. No matter how many voicemails we ever receive, we will always make time for Amber from Alabama. Oh, absolutely. Hey, Kevin and Samantha. It's Amber from Alabama. I'm not drunk yet working on that but I just wanted to say Kevin um, it means a lot to me that you thought I might have been horrifically murdered um, and checked on me I'm not murdered my face was not ripped off by a chimp but I love you guys and I can't wait for the episode on Friday the fucking 13th and I will be driving um, to Tybee Island in Savannah to party it up or down so hopefully I don't get murdered there and anyway I am alive and well and we'll be sending you uh, that photo of me and my mug real soon. Uh, take it easy, cheesy, deuces. I was actually worried about Amber. We had been corresponding a lot and then I'm glad you did. I, I feel like a bad person because I... Because you said that you hoped she was dead. <laughs> no. Amber, you know that's not true. I wish I had checked on you too, though. I'm sorry. <laughs> I I told Kevin to, though. <laughs> <laughs> she did not. She did not tell me to. I did that on my own, Amber. No, that's Don't right. That's, I'm just kidding. But I love you too. 
while we're on the subject of Amber, Amber from Alabama is developing a little following of her own. <laughs> so I've binged all your episodes. I saved the body mod episode for last. I'm sitting here trying to eat lunch, and the lovely Samantha is talking about some French dude eating shit. I had to tap out. I didn't think it would happen, but it did. Uh, this is Finn from Phoenix. Um, also, the other listener you have, Amber, that calls in. Her voice is so sexy. Have an episode where Amber talks. Um, okay, that's really all I got. Keep up the good work. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for that voicemail. I'm so glad that we got somebody to tap out on an episode. Uh, hell yeah, and it was something I said, so you know I feel super fucking proud right now. <laughs> and Finn... Don't worry. I think you'll probably hear more from Amber from Alabama. <laughs> I hope you do, and he's right. <laughs> yeah, her voice is sexy. Yes, it is. Sexier than yours. That can't possibly be true. <laughs> and speaking of crushes, if you remember, uh, Samantha got a little jealous because somebody had a crush on me and nobody had a crush on her even after she posted that super hot photo of herself. I am so humiliated. Well, your time has come. What? <laughs> uh, I'm on the side of a house on a ladder, caulking uh, the side of this house, and I just had that call and so you know that I have a crush on Samantha. <laughs> you have a crush now. Oh, my God. Someone called, and they have crush on me. Mm-hmm. And he was doing something called caulking. Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> on the side of a house. Message received. <laughs> hey, thank you, dude. <laughs> My self-esteem is soaring right now. <laughs> you do look a little flush. <laughs> if you'd like to leave us a voicemail of your own, you can do so by calling 386-227-7848. What does that spell on a phone's keypad? Dumb ass tit. If you enjoyed the show, check us out on Instagram and on Facebook, or maybe even on our new Patreon page that we talked about at the top of the episode that we're probably not going to do again because it's probably really annoying. Oh yeah, we don't want to be like that. No. But if you become a patron, you can get stickers, join me and Samantha for a horror movie nights, get personalized video greetings from us, and for those with a couple extra bucks, we'll even narrate and critique your favorite adult video. Yeah, you're going to want to get in on this, people. Even if it's your own video. We have no qualms about narrating your personal porno. <laughs> we just don't. <laughs> you no, know, we don't. Send us send us videos of you jacking off or whatever. Whatever. We'll, we'll, we'll watch it and talk about it. <laughs> we would love to. Yeah, we've got no morals or dignity. No, so hit us up. <laughs> you can get to know me and Samantha a little better by becoming a patron. We'll be posting photos and awkward videos. There's one up now of Samantha dance cleaning her house with those Lysol wipes that she loves so much. Yes, I do. And it was so sexy what I was doing with those Lysol wipes. Just so you know, we'll never put out an actual episode of our show behind a paywall. No, never. That's just not the kind of thing we do. Speaking of our show, our next shit show will be released on Halloween. And of course, our next full episode will drop on the 13th of the following month. We appreciate all of our new patrons. But the most important thing to us is that you've taken the time to listen to our show. And we thank you all so much for doing so. And we'll see you again soon. Goodbye. Kids, when you go to bed, stay away from your closets and don't look under 